Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that so very much. If you grab your Bibles, join me in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 is where we'll be for this morning's message. So delighted that you made it out today, excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you this morning. And uh, the title of the message is this, Life Lessons Learned from Pharaoh's Folly. Life Lessons Learned from Pharaoh's Folly. And uh, that is a mouthful, not quite as bad as Friends of Fostoria Family Funfair. But anyway, um, it's right up there. But nonetheless, life lessons learned from Pharaoh's folly. All right, in Exodus chapter number 14 is where we'll be. In fact, we'll just read one verse here to get started. In fact, we're going to focus on a second part of one of these verses here before us. Exodus chapter 14, if you'll look down at verse number 30 with me. Verse number 30, Exodus chapter 14, near the end of the chapter. This is what we read. First part says, Thus uh, the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then the second part is where we'll focus for this morning especially. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And the Israelites saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. You know, that little verse, or the second part of this verse, paints a gruesome and ghastly picture. Uh, It's not one that we might want to fixate upon, but the reality is, could you imagine what that was like? As they gazed upon the seashore of the Red Sea there, they they would have seen uh, lined up and down, maybe as far as the eye could see, corpses. Uh, Here was the once proud army of Egypt laid waste. They would gaze upon it, they'd see these corpses in all sorts of positions. These dead men, some of them would have their heads pillowed upon their arms. Others would have their hard faces half buried in the sand. Others would be lying prone on their backs and maybe seaweed in their hair and their sightless eyes still looking upward in great terror. You see, as they lied there on the shore of the Red Sea, they were very much alike, all of these corpses. But if we were to make our way down the shoreline just a little bit further, this crowded shore, we, we would find one that was a bit or quite a bit different than the rest. Immediately, his, his uh, probably uh, very elaborate dress, his costume, if we could do it, his rich costume we might describe it as, uh, would catch our eye. We look at his hands, and maybe there would be several jewels on his hands, maybe some bracelets of some sort, and it would catch our eye. We say, "Wait a minute, this this one is unlike the rest." As we looked upon him, we we would not see a crown upon his brow. We we would not see a, a scepter in his lifeless hands. That, those things would not be present. But uh, we could quickly guess that this corpse, this <laughs> if we might describe it, this pocket that death has uh, turned inside out and emptied was Pharaoh. Here uh, was the king of Egypt lying with all the other corpses. The one-time ruler of Egypt. But here he lies among the lowest of his soldiers. He's sprawled in a very unkingly fashion as, uh, as if the sea had spit him up in sheer disgust. Now comes the question. The big question. How came this famous Egyptian to be here in this way? The ruler of all. He he was the king of Egypt. In fact, we would say the greatest nation at that time. And uh, a great argument could be made for that sense. The proudest nation in the world. Here we find him dead. He's dead away from home. He is 
and died a very violent death. Uh, you see, he did not leave Egypt with this purpose in mind. Not surrounded by family. He never intended that his life should end thus. Now, he is not here because his enemy, Israel, was stronger than he was. Not at all. Let's remind ourselves they were running from him. He does not lie here because of their great power. So what is the cause? Why does Pharaoh lie dead on the shore of the Red Sea? Well, we get the answer from the very voice of God. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter number 9, if you will. Exodus chapter 9, look at verse number 16. God is speaking through his man Moses. He's speaking to Pharaoh back in verse 13, and he says, you're going to go, you're going to say these things to Pharaoh. And we come down to verse number 16, and (laughs) here is what we read. God speaking through Moses, his mouthpiece to Pharaoh, and he says this, And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, (coughs) and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And it's a great statement. It's an amazing statement because we have a, an unequivocal establishment of why he is here. What God says is the reason that he is raising up this man. He's raising up Pharaoh that he might show forth what? His power in his life. Now, was that purpose accomplished? You better believe it was. It also helps you and I to say as we gaze upon Pharaoh there on the shore of the Red Sea, we, we see him as a monument of the power of God. A monument to the very power of God. Now, this is not a a monument to the power of God to save and to keep and to utilize. Note it this morning, and this is very crucial for us to understand as believers and as human beings. It It is not a monument to the power of God to save, though he did do that for Israel. No, Pharaoh's body lay strewn there on the shore among his soldiers is a monument of the power of God to thwart, to disappoint, to wreck, to utterly destroy. And this very destruction that we see, because this is a very ghastly and gruesome sight, in this destruction we see that God has indeed achieved his purpose. I'm going to raise you up, Pharaoh. I have raised you up for this moment to show my power through you so that all the world may know, all the earth may hear. It it is an amazing statement. In some ways, it's a difficult statement, right? Because here we see Pharaoh lying on the shore, and it's like, wow, God God raised him up for that? That, This was the end of his life as God intended it? And the, the teaching seems to be such that God raised this man up that he might glorify himself by making a complete and utter wreck of him that it would end up on the shore that god raised him up with this design this plan that okay pharaoh's going to end up on the shore so that my power can be seen through this could it be true is that the intent and the purpose that god had when pharaoh was born he's like yep that's it this one i'm i'm gonna set him up so he'll fall flat on his face i'll destroy him i'll wreck his life he'll end up being a dead person on the shore of the Red Sea, so that I can show my power through him. 
we believe the Bible, we would have to agree that God has a plan for every life. Would we not agree? If we believe the Bible, we have to say, okay, God has a plan for every life. All nature screams of a planning God, we might put it this way, a purposeful God. In other words, what God creates, what God does, he has a plan for and a purpose for. That includes every person. All revelation teaches it. God has a purpose and a plan for every person. But, now listen, here's the thing. In admitting that God plans every life, can we, can we say and believe that he plans for some to go wrong and for others to go right? Can, can we believe that he plans for one to become Judas, a traitor, and another, John, the beloved disciple? Is it the purpose of God that one should develop into a Moses? Well, the other, right at his very side for so many years, grows into a miserable and distorted wreck we call Pharaoh? In other words, is Judas as much a part of the plan of God as John? Is Pharaoh and his, his end, the destruction, the utter wreck that his life was, is that just as much the plan as it was for Moses? I'll tell you, friend, if it is, we are of all men most miserable because we serve a wicked God. If it is so, we serve an unloving, an unkind God. But I'm thankful today we know that's not the case. You see, God never planned. Now listen to me, listen to me carefully. God never planned that any man go wrong. He never planned that. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, as the hymnist would put it, he is the eternal lover of every soul. He loved Moses, but friend, never forget, he loved Pharaoh no less. Yes, John was the beloved disciple, but friend, Judas was dear to the heart of God, too. Whatever failure they made of their lives, and frankly, the same would be said of you and I, whatever failure you and I make of our lives, we do not make it because God forces us to do so. Now listen, this, eh, the other side of the, corn is, uh, of the coin is what? Well, some people would say, well, when they're caught, especially young people, maybe if they're trying to get out of something, well, the devil made me do it. Yeah, the devil made me do it. Okay, don't try that at home, children. It won't work. Your parents are much smarter. The devil made me do it. Boy, that's, a, that, that's it. And that has gotten into our modern society. We won't go into great detail of that. But the reality is, you know, we want to blame anything but take personal responsibility. Okay. The devil made me. Well, the other side of it is if, boy, we can say, well, God, the way I turned out is because God ordained it. God willed it. My friend, can I tell you, God has not had any plan for any man to go wrong. That wasn't his plan. Whether it be a Judas or whether it be a Pharaoh, whether it be a person living today who is away from the Lord and not doing right and not living, our failures, our faltering, is not because God forces us to do so. We don't do it whatever way we go wrong. We don't do so because he planned it, uh, that he planned we should do it. We do it because of our own willfulness and wicked rebellion against God. That's why we do it. 
So we look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh can't in the afterlife. Well, God, you made me to this. God, you planned me for this. You told me you're going to raise me up, and, and you're going to show your power through me so that all the earth would hear. And so, God, aren't you going to give me a break? Won't you let me into heaven because I, you know, I, I did it so well? No. See, that wasn't God's plan for Pharaoh initially. How do we know that? God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. You see, friend, we could put it in other words, though God has plans for your life and mine, he cannot, in the very nature of things, force us to enter into his plans. God does not enlist robots or does not force us to be robots. God does not in any way force us to follow his plans. And yea, we just said if we believe the Bible, we have to admit God has a plan for every life. Now I'll tell you this, the easiest proof and evidence of that, that our God as a creator has a purpose for everything he creates. There's an evidential purpose to everything God creates. And he has created you and I, Revelation 4, for his pleasure to bring him glory. Many other passages point to this reality. So God has a plan, not only a broad plan for all of mankind, but he has a specific plan for your life and for mine. And yet the reality is he will not force us into those plans. Now there's a group of people here that uh, can understand that better than most. You say, who's that, Pastor Henry? Parents. You see, we as parents, we uh, have made beautiful plans, wonderful plans for our children. And often some of those children despise and ignore those plans. You see, our children are not ourselves. They have independent wills. And some parents say, amen, Pastor, mine has a strong independent will. Boy, they will go their own way sometimes. I have, a, they, I have a plan for them. Now, now it is in the smallest of things, right? I want you to clean your room this morning. I, I want you after the service to go get in the car. And, and boy, there is a struggle of wills. You have a plan for them. You have a desire that you have laid out before them. Hey, this is what I want for you. This is my will for you. I, I want you to do this, whether that be cleaning the room, whether that be uh, going and getting in the car, you name it. As a parent, you laid out that will for them, that desire, the plan for them. Uh, they then in turn have to choose to follow that plan. And often they do so, and that brings you joy unspeakable. As they have the capacity for entering into the purposes and plans you have for them, and it brings joy to your heart. But they also have the capacity for despising those purposes and breaking our hearts. If time would allow, we could, as parents, give testimony to times that our children did not follow our plans. They did not follow our purposes for them. And, and it certainly is heartbreaking. It's disappointing in different ways. And the reality is that if that happens with our own human children, can it not be said that the very masterpiece of the creation of God, mankind, can disappoint the plans of God? His choice plans for them? His plans and will for them that is the best, and yet they can despise and disgust them, ignore them as much as our children can do for us. 
So then how do we explain this most interesting statement in Scriptures? For this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. It is a fact that this death in the Red Sea was not an accidental death. That's clear. It's a fact that this corpse here upon the beach is not here by mere chance. In fact, we would say this, this king was flung here uh, by the power, or the, disappointed, the power of a disappointed and grieved and rejected God. He lies here dead upon the shore according to what? The deliberate plan and purpose of God. And yet while that is true, we must keep one big fact in mind, one big truth, and do not miss this this morning, friend. It is simply this. Though Pharaoh lies here according to the purpose of God, this was not God's first and highest purpose for him. This was not it. This is not his first and highest plan for Pharaoh. This is not what, in accordance with the will of a God who is not willing that any should perish and but all should come to repentance. But Pharaoh resisted, and he rejected every noble and worthy purpose that God had in his life. His own rebellion made it impossible for God to realize his purpose in him at all, save the last and the worst. The last and the worst option. It is a biblical truth and principle that God would later teach to one of his prophets. In Jeremiah chapter 18, you can certainly turn there if you want, but in Jeremiah chapter 18, one day God appeared to Jeremiah and he says this, I want you to go down to the potter's house and I I want you to observe some things. In fact, here's what he said in verse number two, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And don't miss it, he says, I want you to go down there. A potter, someone who makes pottery, someone who creates something and and uh, immediately Jeremiah did so. He, he, he obeyed, he, he went down, and he went to the potter's house. And as he went there, and as he arrived there, he saw three objects, three things that caught his eye immediately. First of all, there was the potter, the man that was forming something there, the man working. Secondly, there was the instrument with which he worked. That was what? The wheel. Uh, the wheel with which he created, made something. And then there was the substance with which he worked. That was the clay. So you and I can imagine in a modern sense, we might say and might be able to picture clay, and for children it might be the picture of Play-Doh and reality of clay sitting there, and he's going to make a vessel from it. He's going to make something from it. And yet, as he begins, and as he watches the potter, and I can just imagine him sitting in the side of the house, and he's, he's watching the potter as he goes to work, and, and the, the water and the clay and getting things together, and starts spinning the wheel. And as he's watching this, he, he realizes first and foremost that this clay is a, a clump of misshapen and unsightly and unfinished material. Right now, in the potter's hand, this clay is, it's not finished. It's not done yet. It's not complete. But there's all, there was a place, I don't miss it, there was a place where it was finished. Even while this clay, we gaze upon it, it's misshapen, it's, a, it's unformed, it's not finished, there is a place that it is finished. You say, Pastor Ian, what do you mean? How, how is that possible? If it's sitting there in front of us and the clay is misshapen, it's, not, uh, it's unseemly, it's, it's unfinished, how is there a place where it's finished? You see, my friend, within the potter's mind, it is finished. He knows what he wants to make of it. 
And while the clay is yet a clump there, and, and uh, you and I look in, like, that doesn't look like much. That just looks like a, a, a glob of clay and a pretty nasty one at that. Yet within the master's mind, it's finished. You see, the potter could already see the desired finished product. Now listen to me. Aren't you glad there's a God in heaven who every baby that's born, every child that's here, God already sees a desired finished product? Your life and mine, it's those of us, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, you're 60, you're 70, you're 70 plus, whatever it is. God has a desired end in the mind of the partner, in the heart of the partner. He already knows what he wants to make. He already has a desired result. My friend, can I just tell you right now, that is the best it's the best. There in his mind, it is finished. And he's trying to make the cup according to the ideal that he has in his mind, uh, the best outcome for that lump of clay. And yet, in the passage, what happens? Jeremiah is observing, and the potter is going to work, and that wheel is spinning, and the clay is there, and he's trying to form it into what he wants it to be a cup, a, <coughs> a saucer, whatever it may be. And yet, we read a very sad statement. There in the passage, it says this. The cup, the vessel, was marred in the making. In other words, there was something in the clay that resisted the working of the potter. There's something in there that, that made it just not come to shape and not come to form. There's something within that resisted the hand of the potter as he worked to, to make it a finished product. There's something that marred it. Something that, that prevented it from being what he wanted it to be. Something within it. And maybe a, a foreign material had gotten in there. Whatever the case may be. It just wouldn't do it. Now, what would we expect him to do with that? Well, the reality is we, we probably would come to expect him to do what? Throw it away. In fact, in some of us, with our lack of patience, we'd probably toss away this good for nothing when your junk came from China. And we're from, we toss it to the side we throw it away but aren't you thankful today that the heavenly potter doesn't do that you see friend the most amazing statement in this passage is verse number four where he says this don't miss it so he made it again he made it again powerful passage right that uh, we would all say immediately boy we sure are thankful for a god of second chances for a god of second chances it's a blessed thought for those of us of the falling and sinful race of mankind that though we sometimes resist god's purpose we don't follow his plan from the outset we wreck ourselves aren't you thankful there's a god in heaven that will make us again Grab the clay back up and say, okay, God, uh, all right, you, you resisted what I wanted, huh? but I'll make you again. I'll show great grace and long-suffering and patience, and I'll, I'll make you again. Boy, we would be a hopeless race, but for the re reality that we have a God that is able and mighty to make us again when we have rebelled against him, we have thwarted his blessed plans for us.
See, we've all experienced the long-suffering and mercy of God in one form or another in this way. I, I, I really doubt that there's one believer here that can say that you and I have been obedient in everything God has asked of us the very first time, that we've never failed or faltered in our obedience and doing right in all we have done, that we have always followed God's plan to a T without question, without going our own way. I'm as glad for this truth as anyone today. No doubt there's some here today that if we're honest, the fact is this, we have failed in asking God His purpose, His wish, His will in a particular area of our life. In other words, we didn't even think to ask the potter, what, what do you want done? Ask the God of all creation, what is your purpose for this in my life? What is your plan? What do you want me to do? You see, friend, we falter and fail often in seeking His face to know His plan for some area of my life. See, here it is. Certainly, Pharaoh probably did not acknowledge the Jehovah as the God of all creation. He never sought the plan of God. He never sought his will, his desire, his plans. And yet, before we criticize and we condemn Pharaoh there now lying upon the shore of destruction, if we might describe it as such, we must ask ourselves, where, where in my life have I kind of shirked Asking God for his plan for my life. Maybe it's as simple as a job decision. I didn't take it to God. I didn't ask him, what, what, what would you have me to do? What's your plan? Would this be the job you would have me to take? Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a moving decision. Maybe it's a purchase of some kind. It could be any decision that you and I face. And what happens is this. It was the very clay of our lives. In other words, God wants to take that and mold it and make it, and mold and make you and I through those decisions. He wants to make us into the very best thing that he has planned. But you know what we have done in not seeking him, not seeking his face, not asking for wisdom, not allowing him to tell us his plans? Can I tell you what we've done? We've taken the clay out of the potter's hands. And it is marred. We have left out the potter. In his grand purposes, and his grand plans, and the decisions of our lives, and the most minuscule decision, the greatest decision, the biggest decision, the, the, the seemingly unimportant decision, we leave God out. And what we have done is simply taken the clay out of his hands. It is marred. You see, my friend, it is easy for you and I to mar these lives. You know, there's others of us that, yes, we did well. We would seek his plan. We'll ask him his will. We'll, we'll desire that. We'll, we'll desire that he show us his will for something in our lives. But the reality is this. Our submission to him as our potter stopped there. He revealed his plan. He showed us what he wants in our lives. And yet we didn't want it. We knew his plan. We, we knew his desired outcome in some area of our lives. And yet maybe our flesh, our old sinful nature, wanted something different. And we went our own way. You know, sometimes his plan isn't the most comfortable. The molding and the making, uh, if the clay could speak, I think it would be pretty uncomfortable for the clay. As it's molded and made in that potter's hands. You see, sometimes the plans of God are not the easiest path. Sometimes his path and plan is not the most appealing from a human perspective. The most delightful task. And so we resist in our hearts. We, we rebel. We know what his will is, his plan for our lives that will lead to his best, that will lead to you and I being a vessel unto honor, as Paul would later put it. 
And we resist that. And soon, the clay of our lives, you know what it reveals? It reveals our grand mistake. It reveals the obvious outcome that when, when you and I go astray from our shepherd, our potter, we go our own way and the, the clay is marred. And yet, even here today, you and I sit, we are testimonies to the fact that when that happens sometimes in our lives, we serve a God that is willing to do just what this verse says. He, he will make it again. Now, aren't you thankful that when there are times in our lives when you and I would kind of go our own way, when, when, when we didn't tell God, have thine own way, no, we said, God, we're going to go our own way. Aren't you grateful there are times that God rescued us? That he showed us great grace and great mercy, and he said, okay, I'll make you again. You've had to endure some of the consequences of your wrong choices and going your way and doing your plan, not mine. And he's picked up the clay, and as you and I asked him to do so, he has agreed to, to make something good out of something that we have made bad. Now, that's each one of us. There's times that we have faltered and we have failed. And there are times when our God in heaven has picked up the clay that we have marred, and he has made it again. And to that, friend, we say, praise our God. But you know what? We'd be amiss if we didn't draw our attention, if we ignored the added statement after that. You see what he says? He says this. So he made it again. This is verse number four there in Jeremiah 18. Catch it. So he made it again another vessel. Now this is interesting. It brings up a great biblical truth. He changed his plan for the latter vessel of the clay. All right. So first of all, he's trying to, to make something out of it and it resisted it. That clay, there's something there that resisted the hand of the potter. So he scoops up the clay and he says, okay, I'll make it again, but I'm going to make it another vessel. I'm going to make it another vessel. Now do not miss this today, friend. He realized that he could not make it according to the wonderful desired ideal that was in his mind for the first vessel. You see, the clay refused to realize the best. Therefore, he made it into another vessel, a different vessel. He sought to make it realize, and here's the, here's the painful reality. He sought to realize within that clay the second best. Why? Clay's marred. It resisted what the potter had in mind. It resisted the best that he had designed for it. And I love this truth. It is hurtful, painful, but it is also encouraging because reality is he can make it again. Praise the Lord. But it is never as it once could have been. He made it another vessel. It's different. It's not all that it could have been the first time. We talk of lives, living lives of regrets. We talk about living a life in which there are uh, regrets that come up in our hearts and our mind. And the reality is this. That's real. That's true. When you and I falter and fail, when we disappoint the very plans of God that he has for us, we miss out on something. Now, I am thankful that there's a God in heaven who can make it again. But it is another vessel. He'll realize his second best. And here's the good news. It may have not been the best, but what does the verse say? Notice what it says. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. 
So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Did you see what happened? Okay, Clay, yeah. Something in you marred. Something resisted my hand. Let's make you into something else. And may not be the best, but God can still make something good out of something we made bad. And he brings something good about it. He has a plan for it, if we might put it that way. See, there's a tremendous truth here. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It's not a, not a, not a truth we hear preach much anymore. And the reality is, and our feel-good society, and a, the reality of, oh, uh, just ignore your past. Don't worry about your past. And yeah, just live as you want. God's going to be happy with everything that you are. And thing. We, we, prone, we are prone to forget this truth. And what is that truth? The truth is simply this. Having rejected and resisted God for the days and months and years, God cannot make of us what he could have made if we had embraced and entered in his plans at the beginning. Man, that's not comfortable. That's not fun. You say, wow, that's, that's not very encouraging. It may not be encouraging, but I will tell you this. It is a warning. Young people, it is a warning. You see, my friend, God has a plan for you. He has a will for you. Will you embrace it? Will you go your own way and mar it? And will you have to settle for second best and third best and fourth best because there are times and decisions in your life where you just go a different direction. You go a different way. You go your own way and you say, God, I, I know better. I can do this. I can make something of myself, my life. The reality is when you and I resist him and we reject him and days, months, years on end, we will never be what we could have been if we had simply embraced his plan and entered into it at the beginning. You see, if we reject God's best for us, the, eh, then he tries to get you and I to realize his second best. And can I tell you this? Yeah, I can tell by some of the looks on your faces. We're not liking this, but reality is this is the truth of God's word. Now listen to me. But isn't this good? You have a God in heaven, though you and I falter and fail, who wants to still work with us to realize his second best. Shall we put it this way? He wants to pick up the pieces of the ruined clay. He wants to gather you and I back to him. He says, okay, if you'll follow my plans now, if you will allow me to work in your life and you will do what I tell you, I'll make something good of your life. Now, as I look out upon this audience, there are people here of all ages. There are some young people here in this room that reality is you're right now standing on the cusp of God revealing his will and plan for your life and he's ready to help in every decision you ever make. And my friend, can I tell you right now, God wants to make something beautiful, wonderful, the best of your life. Can I just encourage you, you get in on the ground floor. You say, thou art the potter, I am the clay. You have your way, God. Have thine own way. Now, there's some of us here, reality is this. Let's just be honest. There have been times in our lives where you and I were that clay and things were going well. The potter was doing things in our lives and he was making us into what he wanted, but we went our own way. All we like sheep have what? We've gone astray. We've gone our own way. And in that moment, you and I as the clay, we were marred. Not because of something the potter did. Listen to me. Our God does not make junk. He does not make wrecks. He only makes beautiful vessels. 
And you and I have wrecked it. You and I have made it worse. But there's a God in heaven who said, you know what? You, you submit to me, I'll make it again. I'll be another vessel. You, you forfeited some of my blessings. You forfeited my best. But my friend, I can make it again something good. You see, friend, the reality is this. If you and I then reject God's second best, he'll bring the next best. Man, we serve a long-suffering God, don't we? Man, we serve such a good God. But we also have to come face-to-face with a simple truth. Would you remember this? You see, God cannot, in the very nature of things, he cannot make much as much out of a fraction of a life that he can make out of a whole of a life. Did you think of that for a moment? You can't make as much out of a fraction of a life as you can the whole of a life. Now what if that clay that the potter is working with has been marred again? Well, he would have undertaken it to make it another vessel. We know that, right? The story of Jeremiah sitting there, and if the story were to go, and it doesn't, but if the story were to go, and boy, he's making it, it marred again. It didn't turn out again like he wanted the second vessel. Well, he probably would have tried it again and again, but all the while, what happens to that clay? See, we had someone who did pottery here today. They would tell you, boy, you only have such a, a time frame to work with that clay before it loses elasticity. It's, it's plasticness, if we could describe it as such. And it, it's not going to be as easily molded and moved the next time. And you try to add some water. You try to soften it, a softening agent to it. And yet that clay kind of gets harder and harder each time. And the reality is it becomes more and more difficult for the potter to shape it according to his purpose. Do you understand what it's saying? You understand what I'm saying? That clay becomes a little harder every time. As it's resisted and rebelled against God, you and I, our hearts become what? A little bit hardened. A little hardened. A little hardened. What do we read a little bit later on in Pharaoh's life? What happens to his heart? It's hardened. It's hardened. Because every time you and I as the clay, where we resist the hand of the potter, we are marred, and he'll take it and he'll try to make something else, but it's not going to be as good as the original. It's not going to be as good as what he had planned first, the best that he offers. But he has something good to offer, but if we resist that and we continue to resist, the time would inevitably come when it could no longer be shaped by his hand at all. What's going to be the result? Well, would you come with me for a moment? Would you come with Jeremiah and let's step outside the potter's house? And we would not have to go far outside that potter's house till we came what would be called the potter's field. And in that potter's field, we would soon gaze upon the ground and much like that shore on the Red Sea, you know what we find? Broken pieces of pottery that refused to be made. We'd see the leftovers. We'd see the, the broken pieces and the shards of, uh, of vessels that never were because they just resisted the potter's hand for time and time again and time again and time again. And you, you wouldn't walk out in that potter's field. You would not for a moment walk out there and say, wow, I wonder why he made all these just to break them. Why'd that potter make all these and then just come out and smash them? Maybe he had a rage moment. No, that's not it. Now, he didn't make these for this. That clay just resisted his hand. Time, 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 time again. 
till the inevitable moment came where it would no longer be molded and made by the master's hand. My friend, can I tell you, these pieces that we have described, they are there because there was something in the clay that so resisted the hand of the potter that he was able to make nothing of them but these shattered and misshapen and broken wrecks. That brings us full circle because that is the story of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. See, why does he lie on that shore among a corpse among so many? He resisted time and time and time and time again. May I just say this morning, don't let that be your story. You see, well, as he has done for you, God has a noble purpose in your life, and he had it in this man's life to begin with. Next week, we're going to delve a little bit more in the story. We will see how God gave Pharaoh every opportunity that he brought to bear the infinite love and mercy uh, of himself to Pharaoh to be a good man. And yet the reason Pharaoh ended as he did was not because God did not love him. It was not because God could not save him. No, it was because Pharaoh resisted. He resisted. He rebelled. He rebelled time and time again until at last he threw himself as a corpse on a distant shore. And yet, what a waste. What a shame. Because no life ever need to end up in a wreck. Why? Because there's a God in heaven who can scoop up the marred clay and he can make it again. Are you willing? Will you submit to him today? You see, for every moment that you still have breath in your body, you still have time as clay on the wheel. You're a clay in the potter's hand. With the clay of your life, will it be marred? Or will you yield and submit to the plan of the potter to realize his best? Just a moment, we're going to sing the simple song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Remember how the first verse goes? Have thine own way, Lord. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Hey, this morning, Christian, do you need to say that? maybe it's early on, maybe you're a young person, you're here today and you say, Pastor Henry, I, I sure do want, I, I sure do want God's best. Would you just say to him, Lord, I submit today, I commit my life to you, I surrender it all, I, I want you to have your own way. Maybe there's a believer here, maybe there's an adult here, you say, you know what, there's been a few times I've been marred, there, there's been some times in my life where I made the decision, I didn't even seek God's plan, or maybe you sought God's plan, but you didn't like it, you went your own way, and boy, to, this morning would be a great time to come back to your God, and would you just simply say this, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Whatever you want, you just show me your plan, your will. I will do it. My friend, I'll tell you, when you do that, you won't end up as a wreck. You won't end up on the shore of destruction. You will end up as a vessel that is good in the potter's eyes. And for that, we can praise him.